the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good morning and welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Sometimes we'll get a little new focus on wealth. Angle we'll thrown in there as well. Today sitting in studio with me, CFP Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Excellent. Good, good. You pointed out to me that there's a new article at Bloomberg.com under personal finance tied towards financial strategies for the new single majority. Right there, for the first time, a majority of U.S. adults are single. In 1976, the earliest comparable statistic, it was 37% of adults were single. Um, obviously, there are implications. There's money to be saved if you're hitching up in one rent versus two, right? Uh, one mortgage versus two. Yep. Uh, groceries, a little less wastage over two versus one. Uh, there's some obvious thoughts like that, but what are your thoughts on this article? Well, you know, what's adding to it is the gray divorce, which we've talked about before, which is people divorcing over the age of 50. Okay. Um, and the article is talking about a lot of women initiating divorces over the age of 50, adding to that number of, you know, being more single adults now than married adults. So you get the savings crunch because, well, you know, when you're trying to save for retirement and you're a married couple, you've got two people feeding retirement accounts typically, right? Sure. Um, the other thing that they talk about is later in life and planning for long-term care. When you have a married couple, often, you know, one spouse takes care of the other. Right. Or, what happened with my mom and dad. Dad got cancer and about three years of uh, taking care of him. Yeah. And, and oddly enough, that, you know, that really is wearing on the person that's taking care of the ill person. A lot of times they end up passing first that I've seen in my career dealing with a lot of older people. So, you know, that there's, if you're single, you have no plan for long-term care in terms of, a certain period of time of free care from your spouse before they can't handle it anymore. So there's, there's that issue because if you go into a nursing home, you know, it's anywhere from 60 to a hundred thousand dollars a year in the Bay area. That's tough. And so that, that might hit your portfolio sooner than later. There's, um, the, there's the flip argument of that one too, though, where if you're single and you get in a bike crash and you're out of work for three months, you don't have anyone to take care of you. Yeah. So that's true. 
Uh, there's no no extra paycheck to cover the costs. Right. So that that's what it, it's some of the things you have to deal with if you're going to go through life in this, with a single uh, mindset, I guess you could say, is planning for long-term care, planning for disability, um, and planning to save a bit more. If you couple this along with, is the 4% withdrawal rate re- in retirement rule still okay? It, it's kind of a tough angle that people that are single going into retirement that they're having to deal with. So the 4% retire, uh, drawdown rule. Yeah. yeah. What is that basically and who is it appropriate for? Well, um, I mean, the question is if it's appropriate for anybody anymore, because the idea is that at 65, you retire. And as long as you can live off 4% of your portfolio, you're going to be okay. And each year you'll be able to increase your withdrawals with 3% inflation from 65 and you'll have enough money to live till, you know, age 100, for example. Um, and that's assuming a balanced portfolio and a certain amount of cash. Um, but that whole rule was invented in the 90s, in the early 90s. And there was a you know Nobel Peace Prize that was presented as a result of this thing. Um, but if we look at where interest rates were in the 90s versus where they are now, it's, it's, not, it's not going to ring true. And the other issue is, is the market's gone straight up for five years now. So you're seeing a lot of expectations for the next decade to be the low to single, or the, the, well, you know, kind of the mid-range of single-digit returns for stocks. Sure, I've seen six percent pretty pretty steadily. Yeah, I've seen so you know a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Right, because we've kind of gone through the recovery phase, and now we're in the slow growth phase, um, and we're not seeing a lot of job growth in the middle class. Uh, so you know, the, the the growth rates are still there. It's a global market, so you can't just focus on what's going on in the U.S. because a lot of companies that are kind of mediocre here in the U.S. are doing really, really well overseas. But between lower expected returns for stocks and bonds that are yielding 2.5% on the 10-year treasury versus over 5% prior to 2007, it costs a retiree about 20% more to retire today than it did before 2007. So if you go into retirement and you've gone through the great divorce and you've lost half your savings and it costs you more to retire, it's tough. I mean, it's it's a you, you really got to reset. We got to redo your financial plan, and more than likely, that financial plan may say, you know what, you got to stick in the workforce a little bit longer. And who does that hurt? Young people, right? Who want jobs? Who are still on your couch <laughs> with their philosophy degree, right? And again, it's it, sometimes it's figuring things out. You know, in your twenties, you don't have to have your career, but you have to have made some mistakes to help you figure out your career. Yep. So we're just delaying, you know, even longer until people get their their stickiness in their career and their their job promotions and where they're going. Yeah, and it's and that's why you're still seeing single family rental homes and investors doing well in that area because even though people you know people are doing better, they still don't have the down payment, especially in a place like the Bay Area to be able to get into a home. Oh yeah. So yeah. There, there's there's a lot of a lot of issues and they, you know they talk about the idea. One thing that I see in the Bay Area about People that do get into homes with the down payment, mm-hmm. they use their 401k. Oh, yeah. So they wipe out all their savings. And I've had two people recently come up to me and say, you know, my husband's not saving any money. I think I should go back to work. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're seeing that all the time in the Bay Area where people, you know, they're saving 10 to 15% in their 401k. They're on track for retirement. They're renting a home. They're going to be okay to retire. But then they, they, they feel like they got to get into the real estate rush. So they borrow from their 401k. Yeah, you can do that. You can pay it back over 15 years in order to get your down payment to get in. But because the payment is now higher than your rent, you stop adding to the 401k, you default on the loan, the entire loan becomes taxable plus a 10% penalty, or you change jobs and you have to pay that loan back immediately 
and you don't have the funds to do it. And so it, the whole thing adds to your taxable income. It increases your tax bracket, and you pay a 10% penalty. It's just a constant cycle of people robbing their retirement accounts right now. So here's a question. <clears throat> if you were, if you had to, and I know it's it's never the right first choice. It's probably never even the right second choice to tap your 401k or mm-hmm. a loan or either auto repairs or something like a down payment on a house. Would now be a good time with the markets at five-year highs and all-time highs? and It's better than at a low. Well, yeah, I mean, here's the deal. It's it's If you have to tap your 401k to keep food on your table for your family or to be able to get yourself to work to continue to make an income, then... So be it. I'm not, you know, that's that's what you have to do. But for any other reason, it's really it's really tough to advise. Um, so no, I, I'm not going to sit here and say yeah, it's okay to do that. Now is better than. <laughs> I mean, if you have to do it Hypo- now, hypothetically, the, at market highs, now is definitely a better time to do it. Because maybe you're repaying yourself back. My thought is, is if there's a market correction of 20, percent maybe you're repaying yourself back at a low. So you're borrowing at a high and buying again back at the low when yeah. you're paying back. And don't don't forget to when you're paying back your 401k, you're paying your 401k back with after-tax dollars. Yes. And then when you pull it back out again in retirement, you're ta- you're taxed again on it. So it's essentially creating a double tax situation. That's the other thing people need to consider. Oh, that sucks. You're right. If, if you borrow a dollar out of your 401k, you never pay. You have to earn a buck thirty in order right. to pay that dollar back. Okay. So you're assuming thirty percent. You're assuming thirty percent tax bracket. Yeah, between state and federal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Big event coming up tonight. You want to talk about it? Uh, yeah, I think you know what. In terms of talking about it on the on the noon show, and even mentioning it on your show here, um, ESPP plans, stock options, RSUs, those types of things. We're going to be talking a lot about that and how to deal with it. I mean, setting goals for diversification, and then knowing what leverage means when it comes to stock options, and you know when do you buy and hold, when do you buy and sell. Gotcha. With that said, CFP Chad Burton, you can sign up for the event tonight in San Jose at the San Jose Airport Hotel, robblack.com. It's robblack.com. It's Bay Area Wealth Strategies. It's a new event, 6.30 to 9 tonight at the San Jose Airport Hotel. Sign up at robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KBOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. Big event tonight. San Jose Airport Hotel. Going to be Bay Area Wealth Strategies. A whole new deck of slides. A lot more to talk about for the first time ever. Um, we still have some space available for the event. Real estate versus stocks is going to be one topic for sure. Uh, risk and return. So capital gains taxes for single people, for married people. We're going to be talking about managing high state and federal taxes. We're going to be talking about stock option planning and much, much more. i got a list of stocks I'm going to be going over. One of the things that I find interesting, again, just talking to neighbors, is how different we all are. People that have lived here 30 years, bought their house, no kids. They're pretty well off. People that live here, uh, old lady dies on my street, 
young married couple moves in with two kids. They're got nothing. They've saved for 10 years just to get the down payment on a house. And literally, the guy makes $400,000 a year, and they can't buy furniture. I love it because people talk to you, they don't know you're on radio because all of a sudden, everything's out there. <laughs> well, I, I think everyone kind of knows that. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 it took me three or four years to learn that. Yeah, knowing you, <laughs> but I don't. I don't say specific names. And no. um, the couple who can't buy furniture. I mean, it, it's tragic. She said, "I can't believe." You know, she's two years into this and no vacations. She's on a budget, and she's like, "I, I have to go back to work." Like, and she's got three kids. I'm like, "Daycare is going to eat that up." Yeah, yeah. You're going to go back to work to pay for daycare so you can socialize with other human beings. You know, a lot of families sit down and do that. They talk about the you know, they they go through the gas, the cost of lunch, the cost of you know, sending the kids to daycare and things like that, and all of a sudden, somebody's making ten bucks an hour, yeah, five bucks an hour, whatever it may be. So it's definitely an exercise to go through. Nine bucks an hour in California. So, but, well, I'm talking about net, and I'm not talking about legally. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, any commentary on tonight's event? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we go through in, in the Bay Area, part of the reason why it's so expensive or tough to live here is because of the high state income tax. You get the Prop 30, which, you know, you let's say you have a big sale or options that, you know, have are expiring, so you exercise and you have this big income this year. Well, Prop 30 for seven years starting 2012 can boost your state income tax up over 13% if it's a high income. So I'm going to talk about tax-efficient investing. But whenever we deal with taxes and, and the idea of saving taxes, a lot of people in the Bay Area often focus on paying the least amount of taxes this year versus diversification and reducing risk and then also looking at their tax situation in the long run. Everybody worries about taxes this year. What am I going to pay this year and how do I reduce that? And that'll affect a couple of things because when you talk about tax efficient investing, trying to keep your portfolio turnover low, trying to keep your, your capital gains lower, you have to balance that with rebalancing. It sounds kind of funny, right? Balance that with rebalancing. Sure. If your portfolio gets way out of whack and you've got too much risk in a sector or a certain asset class, it's time to pay the taxes and move on. Same with your options. If you have way too much in there and the only reason why you're not selling is because of the taxes, well, look at your portfolio and say, what would happen if you have a 20% market correction? And when you look at negative point, you know, negative two zero and a percent sign, versus actually equating that to a dollar value, it's a big difference. And so people, they need to really realize that, okay, there's, you've got to look at your tax-efficient investing, but you also have to make sure you balance your portfolio. Now, younger people have the ability to rebalance their portfolio with their contributions if they're saving a lot each month. So right now, we've got the S&P 500 sitting at highs. The S&P 500 has done really well. It's a market cap-weighted index, though, so it's like Apple, Microsoft, Intel, ExxonMobil, and all those big companies that have done well. So you get, what, uh, 90% of the return of the S&P 500 is like in the top 50 companies, right? And so if those companies go through a correction, you haven't rebalanced to smaller cap or international emerging markets, then you're taking a lot of risk. So what you do is you look at your 401k right now and you say, okay, what am I light on? My large cap has grown drastically over the last five years. What am I light on? And funnel your contributions there. Um... But when you're starting to invest in your taxable account and you have a lot of assets and you're getting out of whack, don't let the idea of not paying taxes 
stop you from rebalancing, stop you from reducing risk. Think of 1999, think of 2007. And, you know, people have such a short-term memory when it comes to risk. I've got to remind them all the time. I've got a bit of a problem where I, I save too much. And I don't actually enjoy. And like I skimp on like getting new clothes. When I lose a little weight, I'm like, oh, I'll see if I keep the weight off before I get new clothes. When I, get, <laughs> when I gain a little weight, I'll be like, I'll see if I can take it off before I get new clothes. Just buy a boat. You won't save too much if you buy a boat, trust me. Boats are crazy. I don't understand people buying boats. I oh, man. I, if you have a friend who has a boat, that's great. Yeah, that's a good thing to have. Yeah. How much is your boat killing you? Um, As much as we... so. Avid wake surfer, whole family is. Sure. So we're we're, you know, all weekend long and yeah. probably a couple evenings a week, which is great in the summertime. It's probably so, saving you on vacations. You know, you're man, not, I don't know. You're not going to Hawaii and <laughs> I don't know. Drop the family for 14 days. I've had weekends where we spent about 300 bucks in gas. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of gas. I know. But that's also again still cheaper than going to Tahoe. Yeah. So that's true. It's athletic for the kids. Yeah, it's you know off the devices. That's for sure. You're creating memories. Yes, that's true. Is there a, is there a device rule on the boat? Like no devices. No devices on the boat because yeah. they're gonna get wet. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess you know they they can get the OtterBox on the phone, but only my teenager has a phone. My younger two don't. Okay. So, anything else you want to hit on for tonight's seminar tonight? Wow, it came up fast. I know. Um, a couple of things that we'll talk about is tax and this is really popular because i've got a um a couple of pdfs that i can send out to people with rules for espp plans okay because a lot of people think they buy their espp 12 months later they can sell them and pay everything in capital gains that discount that you get on the employee stock purchase plan it's always going to be ordinary income and to qualify for the rest of your gains if the stock goes up as um capital gains it has to be you have to sell it the longer of two years after the offering or one year from uh, the purchase. So because there's a six month window on those, people get caught and sometimes they sell them too early and pay all ordinary income taxes on it. And there's a couple of forms that we'll talk about because people end up paying. Oh, that'll be entertaining. Form. <laughs> well, just, I'm not going to go over the forms, okay. but just a couple of tips for people that, um, I mean, here's the long and short of it, Rob. If yeah. you have ESP, RSUs aren't a big deal. Those are the type of grants you get. And as they vest, they become taxable. The company typically automatically sells a couple of shares to, to do the tax withholding. Okay. And then they're your shares. And there's no reason for you to hold them for the long run. No tax reasons for you to hold them for the long run. Well, can it kick up your taxable income? It, it's going to kick up your taxable income no matter if you want it or not. Okay. So there's no reason, there's no tax reason to continue to hold them. You might want to hold them if you like the company. Incentive stock options are a different story. There's all sorts of traps with that, all sorts of tips with incentive stock options, so we can talk about that. Bay Area Wealth Strategies tonight, San Jose Airport Hotel, 4th Street, San Jose. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Coming up, I'm going to be speaking with the deal's senior writer, Richard Collins, discussing General Mills and Annie's big acquisition this week. What's it mean and why?
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Merchants and acquisitions are something that drive the market. Um, sometimes it's about improving your footprint. Sometimes it's about acquiring a new technology. Joining me right now, the deal's senior writer, Richard Collins, to discuss a recent one in the food industry, which sounds pretty boring, but it makes a lot of sense from a trend sense. How are you, Mr. Collins? Doing well. Thanks. Give us a little background about yourself real quick before we get into your content. So I'm the retail and consumer products reporter over at The Deal. I've been doing this for about four years now, and I focus very specifically on mergers and acquisitions, IPOs, out-of-court restructurings, those sorts of things. So General Mills, um, I think of cereal company, I think of grocery store, I think of you know maybe one of six major companies that dominate the grocery store aisles. They're acquiring Annie's. When you think of Annie's, you think of those little rabbit head pastas, but they've got all sorts of little, other little snacks and treats that are, I guess, on the organic side and the um, lack of wheat um, side. Yeah. Um, why such a deal? Why doesn't, you know, why doesn't General Mills just copy what they're doing? The, the food giants have had a real problem um, growing their own businesses. Not only have they had a real problem growing their own businesses, but they also seem not to be very good at introducing their own products into the market. So what they've been doing is going out and acquiring existing businesses. They actually find it's, it's cheaper to go out and acquire something rather than take the risk of trying to build it on their own and seeing if it succeeds. Because sometimes that doesn't always happen. In fact, many times it doesn't happen. So they kind of let you know, these entrepreneurs go out, start their own brands, and then they'll buy the ones that end up succeeding. And they sort of, it also happens in the pharmaceutical industry and uh, plenty of other industries as well. Sure. Now, Annie's is the trend that I was speaking to. It seems like people under 35 are willing to pay more for organic food. Uh, They're willing to pay more to like put good stuff in their kids' bodies versus processed starches and things like that. Um, is this General Mills just trying to connect with a younger demographic shopper, or is there more to this? That's definitely part of it. Natural and organic is a growth space, as is high-protein, snacking. There are certain categories within food right now that all the food giants are basically chasing. Um, so, so they're going out and they're acquiring companies in this space because other categories, um, which use um, a lot of processed foods or ingredients, um, categories such as cereal, they've, they've not proven as popular, not only with younger consumers, but, but even, even uh, other consumers are increasingly turning to, to, to other products. Now, taking a look at the valuation of this deal, Annie's was trading on an expensive level prior to the deal. Right. General Mills steps in, offers a sweet premium. Did General Mills overpay for this? That's a good question. So if you think about it in terms of they paid four times, more than four times the revenue for this company, and you think about the fact that Annie's is growing, um, you know, over the last fiscal year, it grew 20%. Uh, its first quarter, it grew, I think, 10% or around that range. So if, if, you, if you do the math, um, it, it, 
the valuation doesn't make a whole lot of sense because what it would have to grow at in order to achieve the revenue that would justify that kind of valuation, you know, folks have told me really it should be growing at 40 to 50% a year. But General Mills, there's such a lack of good candidates out there, especially single brands within the natural organic space that are as big as Annie's, that they're willing to pay a huge premium just to get into um, this space. Okay. Do you think there will be another suitor jumping in, maybe someone like a craft up in the bid? I don't see that happening. I mean, this is such a rich valuation. More likely, what we're probably going to see is we're, we're just going to continue to see more activity in this space. There's a lot of there's there are several companies out there that are either um, looking for investment or looking to be sold to a strategic. A couple of them are, are fairly attractive. We also have some other publicly held companies such as White Wave and Boulder Brands that have been talked about um, quite a bit as potential targets for some of the food giants. Now, speaking of um, the growth in the sector, um, obviously I'm looking at labels a little bit more as I get older and trying to be a little bit healthier. Um, What other players are getting acquired or what are the small players of the up-and-comer that maybe I could say, hey, my organic angle that I'm consuming should be part of my portfolio as well? Well, among privately held companies um, that that are that are likely to be sold in coming months is Talenti Gelato. I don't know if you've ever seen that in Whole Foods, sure. but that's a popular uh, gelato and sorbet brand. It has revenue of more than a hundred million dollars. That's been talked about as maybe likely being bought by Unilever, um, which has a huge portfolio of frozen treats and would love to be in that space. I think they got Ben and Jerry's, don't they? Um, I believe so. I, I would have to check that right now um, off the right. top of my head. <laughs> when these uh, organic companies get acquired by the, the big boys, the big players like the Unilevers, like the General Mills, do does quality tend to get like knocked out in order to get productivity or to get profitability squeezed through? That's also a really good question. You know, I've thought about this, and I, that does happen. But I also think that it happens just as a company gets bigger. Because when you're a smaller company and you're sourcing your ingredients, you can use small suppliers. You're fairly certain of where those ingredients are coming from. As you get bigger and bigger and bigger, you have to find new suppliers regardless. And so as you as you get bigger, you're – the where those ingredients are coming from it's not as easy to track as 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 you as you continue to grow uh Nyman Ranch is one of those brands that isn't yet acquired by a large strategic got private equity investment uh Bill Nyman the founder ended up leaving the company he complained you know the company um you couldn't trust where it sourced its beef you could still buy its pork products he still said he would buy all the products but this is so this is a problem of any kind of restaurant or food or whatever as they get bigger it just becomes more and more difficult to especially if they're fast growing and they're very popular to find all of the 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 ingredients it needs and the amount of ingredients it needs to make the things that it makes. I'm speaking with the deal's senior writer Richard Collins discussing kind of the big food play, picking up natural and organic. Natural and organics had five, ten years of great growth, whereas the big food guys are starting to stagnate a little bit. So it's an interesting conversation to say the least, especially from an investment standpoint, but from a social standpoint as well. Anything else that we need to know about this topic, Richard, before we wrap it up? 
not really. I mean, this is going to continue to be a very robust space in terms of, of deal making. Uh, this is where the, the where the growth is at, and it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to continue to be in the news. This is where the innovation is happening in the food space. Um, so keep following it. I'll give you a quick aside right before we jump out. And uh, a couple of years ago, I went into a friend's home. She was 30-something. I looked in her fridge because I was just trying to go for a beer or something like that. Sure. All, all she had was hardcore liquor. Um, <laughs> she only eats fresh food. Okay. So every day she goes to Whole Foods. Every day she brings food home to cook. She No food right. in the house. Strangest thing I'd ever seen. Right. Okay. Thanks very that much means- for joining me. Thanks. And I will talk to you soon. Again, uh, always great to have guests from the deal or the street or briefing. I think they add a little bit of content thoughts, showing you how investment trends play out. That's deal senior writer Richard Collins discussing a little bit about General Mills. A couple uh, big stories. Uh, we kind of got into a little bit of a war last night. So companies like Northrop Grumman might be considered for your portfolio. Northrop Grumman makes the largest amount of unmanned and aerial-type strike players. Um, I'm not saying invest in war. Then again, I'm also not saying invest in organic food trends. I'm saying these are trends and ideas and thoughts that, that ultimately end up doing well. So last night, President Barack Obama outlined an expanded strategy to degrade and ultimately destroy the extremist criminal army calling itself the Islamic State. True, uh, true that, true that. Um, with that being said, um, I, I didn't even watch. You know, I had to read the recapsulations because... It, you get to a point at the end of your business day where like, I just need a break. And the last thing I need to be focusing on is, you know, more body parts getting blown apart or chopped off and things like that. So uh, do give yourself a mental break from time to time because this is a very uh, hardcore world that we live in. Um, Ukraine, Russia seems to have calmed down for a while. Will it pop itself back up? I think when Putin needs his ego stroke, anything can happen. Uh, but when his billionaires and millionaires are suffering, I think you'll see things typically tame down ever just so slightly. I'm Rob Black. You can find me and drop in me an email at rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Big event coming up tonight. Tonight. Good chance to meet me. I will be there early. 6.30 to 9 is the event. It's in the San Jose Airport Hotel just off 4th Street. Um Real easy to get to, but with traffic, you know, plan early to get there on time. And if you make it there too early, probably look for me at the bar. Um, We could talk informally real estate versus stocks, portfolio construction, minimizing taxes, employee stock options, 401k, Roth 401ks. There's so much with Roth 401ks and, you know, converting an IRA to a SEP IRA. No, 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 no. Converting an IRA to a Roth IRA. Like, trust me, it's intimidating. So bring your questions. Bring yourself. Um, we'll talk real estate in the Bay Area. We'll talk money, investing, and more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Sitting in with CFP Chad Burtons from newfocusfinancial.com. We'll take a break here. Be right back.
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black. Big event coming up tonight. It's a new event, so if we get a lot of people that go, we'll do it again. If not, we'll just take all the content, put it in the toilet, and flush. It's kind of what I do with all my exes. Turn it into a webinar and charge for it. We'll do. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I mean, I've always like. I mean, we'll give it to charity, but yeah, that's boy, fair. We're gonna do it for free here. Yeah. With that being said, uh, that's tonight. It's going to be a San Jose Airport Hotel, which is to me the weirdest name of a hotel ever. San Jose Airport Hotel, not the DoubleTree, not the Crown, not the the Ritz, the San Jose Airport Hotel. That's yeah, that's a weird brand, Can't right? Get, it's not a weird brand. It's so generic. It's nothing, <laughs> but it's there. It formerly was a brand name, but maybe they'll maybe someone maybe they're going to clean it up and sell it. Was the idea? I don't know, but I'm not exactly selling the location terribly well, am I? Parking's free, and they've got good food. Real estate versus stocks. We're going to talk about. Ultimately, it's about Bay Area Wealth Strategies. Everything from stock options to real estate to money to investing to getting married to being single. Um, it's an expensive area to be single. Yeah. Really expensive area to be single. And it's an expensive they, area to be married <laughs> and well, have children. Well, yeah. children is a different part of the equation, but married, it, it helps probably. Um, but the single, like you go to a bar and you're like, I'm not going to drive tonight, so I'm going to take a Lyft or I'm going to take an Uber. And, you know, $7 here, $21 here, and, you know, rents. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pay 1200 for a closet and a kitchenette. And where do your clothes go? In the closet. And where does your bed go? In the closet. <laughs> so this is for you people out there. And it's for the married people who, you know, they got into a home and they got nothing else. They, they got no ability to save. Um, if that were me, Chad, I'd pick up a second job on weekends. Like, you have to save. I was telling you a little earlier, I, I'm kind of having a sickness now where I'm saving too much, and I'm not spending. I'm, I'm not a miser, because that's that sounds like a bad word to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm acting a little bit more like a miser. Like, I saw a $40 steak, I'm like, I'm not paying $40 for a steak. I don't care. Maybe if I'm on a honeymoon, maybe if I'm in Paris, I'll pay 40 bucks for a steak, but no way. Like, it's just getting to the point where I'm like, I can't spend on this. I can't spend on that. Um, anyway. Stuff. I mean, in the Bay Area, we, you know, we have an office in Vancouver, Washington as well, San Mateo. And the, a parking ticket in downtown San Francisco is what, like 75 bucks or something like 75 that? 75 to 120. Yeah. And Vancouver, Washington, where a good portion of my staff is, is it's like 12 or $25. Yeah. So you it's can, cute. It, which is about an hourly cost of parking in San Francisco. So. And about a 15 minute cost in San Francisco. <laughs> right. I got a great parking story for you. What's that? When I was living in San Francisco, there was one night where I parked and I couldn't see that. It was one of those garages that looked like a storage unit, mm-hmm. but it was a garage. And the next morning, I, I moved my car at seven, and the police were just arriving to tow it. And this couple had been waiting an hour to get out, and they were waving their arms like baboons, like they're just going, "Ah!" <laughs> you, you, they're unintelligible. You, it's. They're they're yelling curse words, you know. You, oh, it's it was the point where it was almost laughable. I was like, I'm so so sorry. I can give you sixty bucks or something, but I'm sorry. Like, the, and they're just screaming at me, and I, and I start laughing, and that makes the situation funnier. Yeah. But I don't know. It's when people are so angry that they lose their shi. That's funny. <laughs> I can watch that on TV. All night long. It's a fight or, fight or flight reaction or just a 
laugh hysterically reaction, and apparently that's the one you have, which probably made their fight reaction a little bit worse. And the cop said, uh, do you want me to tow you? I'm like, nope, I'm getting in my car and leaving. So, and I never saw them again. <laughs> good thing, good thing. So the event tonight, uh, Roth 401k, what's a Roth 401k? What's well, where you have the ability to put in after-tax 401k dollars instead of pre-tax, but it grows tax-free for the rest of your life. Is that, so it's, is that a good idea? It is really a good idea. I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think in 10, 15 years, taxes are going to be higher or lower? Um, higher. Okay. So if you're younger and you're under that you know, marginal bracket of about 25% federal, yeah. um, and you believe the taxes are going to be higher, it's a great idea. What I tend to tell people that are younger, though, that but, in the, are, but in the Bay Area, that's the thing is the Bay Area, yeah. you have that 9.3% tax. So younger people that are in their 20s and 30s that aren't, you know, killing it yet, they're making and they're not into that 25% plus federal bracket, right? Put enough into the 401k uh, regular side to get the match yep. and then put the rest into the Roth side. But you also have to learn how to play the tax brackets because if you max out the 401k, you might lower your tax bracket and have enough tax savings to take your tax savings and fund your own Roth IRA. So getting to know what your marginal bracket is and what that means is really important in the Bay Area to make the right money decisions. And then I go into portfolio design. Um, You know, we talk about index funds all the time, Rob. And I always notice that at market highs like this, it, everybody talks about indexing is the only way to go because look at how well the indexes have done. Okay. Well, when you're investing in index cap-weighted indexes, you're really only investing in about 50 companies. That's true. It's, and It's the large cap. It's the big boys. And guess when, when, when the dollar does go up and they're making a lot of money overseas, it starts to eat into their profits if those overseas currencies fall. And so that's something to consider. So there's there's new types of indexes out there, fundamentally weighted indexes or earnings weighted indexes uh-huh. that people need to know. It's it's kind of a cheaper way to get managed funds. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We, as well. we should talk about that because remember the other day Apple was reporting new product, mm-hmm. and you saw the S and P 500. You saw Apple go up two bucks. You saw the S and P 500 go up. Yeah. You saw Apple go down four bucks. You saw the S and P 500 go down. So a lot of people's financial future may be tied to Apple, even though they're using you know Motorola or Google phones and. Mm-hmm. Maybe even social conflict, mental conflict, investing conflict uh, in their portfolio. I've seen people sell their Apple stock and go into XLK to get more broad diversified tech. Yeah, 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 sure. It's 15% Apple. With that said, plug the seminar tonight. Uh, And your website. Stock options, building tax-efficient portfolios. uh, Websites, chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. Hopefully, we'll see a lot of people there. You can get more information. You can go to robblack.com. That's robblack.com. It's always a pleasure doing the show. It's always a pleasure to meet the listeners face-to-face. So come on out, support us, and say hello. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network. 
presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. A couple things that I like to do from time to time is I like to do series, and this is one of them. It's basically 20 financial lessons, and it's, I wish I would have known this money 101 type of concepts. And we've all made financial mistakes, and the, the trick to getting wealthy is to cut down on your mistakes going forward, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s. Um, there's a lot of good tips out there, top things that you need to know. There's hints, there's tricks, there's much, much more. So I've been putting together this series of, of basically 10 podcasts that covers roughly 20 topics. And one of the topics I want to hit today is buying a car. It's not as expensive as a home, but it's right up there as big ticket items that will make commitment to your wallet for the foreseeable future. First and foremost, um, try to cut down on you know the want and go with the need, i.e. make sure you're getting the right vehicle for you. It seems pretty obvious, but you could wind up an unhappy car owner pretty fast if you haven't thought carefully about how many people you're going to be toting around or what sort of luggage you're going to be toting around. A Mini Cooper is not exactly appropriate for someone who goes on you know, long-term vacations and has to pack up the car. Or, you know, uh, a Mini Cooper could be ideal for someone who has no friends and just wants to tote themselves around. Again, it's going to differ from person to person, so keep that in mind. Get the car that's appropriate for you. Access the worth of your old car. I'm driving a car right now that has 135,000 miles. I will drive it until it's got 200, 235, 300. Um, I do pretty good prevention of maintenance on it. So the worth of my old car is almost nothing other than I don't have to have, and by the way, I have two vehicles. I've got the nice one for show, and I've got the, you know, the other one for durability and work, um, putting the miles on. So whether you you know, plan to trade in your old car. Uh, your current car can be an important factor in your budget. Check the right website and possibly, you know, um, Craigslist and newspaper ads and uh, ways for you to dump it, per se, and seek out a realistic valuation. You know, um, one of my last vehicles, after it hit about 170,000 miles, it just was starting to become too much to maintain. And uh, it had been on many ski trips, so it was not in good condition as far as snow and water does nasty things to interiors. So getting rid of it, I was like, okay, do I sell it? Eh, I don't really let people come to my home. Do I put it on Craigslist? Eh, no. So for me, it was a donation, and it was a tax write-off that, in hindsight, I probably should have sold it because the tax write-off that I thought I was going to get, the deduction, was a lot less than what the deal the company promised me. And for the record... I'm not going to knock all car donation sites, but they seem to be run by attorneys who get a piece of the action, and then they give a piece of that action to the charity. Um, and I don't understand that. It's like, why? 
if I'm calling this organization who's going to help children, why aren't they not the ones who are doing the paperwork filing? Nope. Anyway, so assess your old car value and write some of the stuff down. A friend of mine got into a situation where she still has a loan active. I'll ask CFP Chad Burton this question. She still has a loan active. She has $6,000. She's got a $10,000 car repair. Um, but really, it could be between five and 10000 The dealer said ten, so I'm guessing it's probably more like five. Um, she doesn't have an emergency savings. She has a 401k that's pretty well funded. Mm-hmm. She's already got a loan on it, like I said. A couple more years, 6000 bucks. Um, what are some of the options someone like that should consider? Wow, that's a tough one. So the, the vehicle is totally upside down after the repairs are considered. Um, still upside down, yeah. yeah. But it would cost $5,000 probably to get it back on the road uh, through a piston. So it's going to be rebuilding the um, valves. But it's going to be basically a brand new engine. And they'll put in, when they have the engine stripped, they'll put in a new water cooler. It'll, it'll be basically a brand new engine. Uh, minor, it's transmission and other things could still go bad in the future, but five thousand dollars to get a brand new car to me—it's find that money, because she's probably not going to get a reliable vehicle for five thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's second opinion on the repairs. Oh yeah, and a lot of times, on um, you know, if she might be better off if, if that's the only issue. That's fine. She might be better off looking at a trade-in for an even less expensive car, where she could go to a dealer, or a, you know that can take in the car, do the repairs for much cheaper, yeah. you know, at cost, and then turn around and sell it. So she's got some research to do. There's no easy answer on that one. To come up with the 5K. I would not borrow from the 401K, no. Where would you borrow from? If there's no other options, what do you do? You know what? It's That is – that. there's got to be a way to do a trade. And even if she has to go do a short-term lease, like a two- or three-year lease. Okay. That's better than borrowing from the 401k. Even if she's upside down on something, I don't know. It's just, it's such a bad idea to borrow from the 401k when you do all that money's out of the market. You're paying it back with after-tax dollars that eventually gets taxed again. And if you leave the job, yeah, it's all due in full. And it's it, if you can't pay it in full, then it's taxable plus a 10% penalty. Okay. So then it'll put her in even a worse situation. And people change jobs every couple of years right now. So odds are she won't pay it back. Okay. Talking about buying a new car or a used car, any thoughts from you? I haven't done it in a long time. I mean, I like to buy cars that are two or three years old. And then just ride them? Yeah. Last I'm pretty tough on cars with going to the mountain a lot, towing a boat, and, and three kids. You know, I talk about this all the time. You get a new car, and it's great, and you don't let people eat in it, and then all of a sudden there's one time they eat in it, and then you pick them up from the soccer game, and there's, you know, you it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. And... uh all of a sudden, your new car is more of a regret than anything else. So, yeah, I like saving, you know, a lot of money by waiting a couple of years. Um, new car, used car. When you decide on it for yourself, it sounds like you lean towards used. Yep. Um, now you have a daughter. Yep. Would you get her a new car when she's 21 because it's a little more reliable oh, than used? You're not going to go reliability. You're not going to fall for the commercials, like the tire commercials. I'll, I'll go for safety. Yeah, but I mean, I I worked and bought my own car. I, I'm not uh, going to buy her a brand new car. Are you kidding me? I'm just throwing it out there. I once was on an antidepressants, mm-hmm. and um, this was like 23 years ago, and there was that commercial where the little baby's riding around in a tire, and it's just this guilt trip of like, it's a baby. You better have the best tires possible. Mm-hmm. And the best tires possible are really expensive. But I started crying during the commercial. I was like, time to get off antidepressants. <laughs> Fair? <laughs> Having the opposite effect for you? 
Um, no, I just I was so happy. I was like, that baby's. You have to protect it. And like it just antidepressants mess with your emotions. Oh, it was a happy cry then. I think it was a happy cry. <laughs> I probably should hit the dump button on that. Yeah, <laughs> go back in time and pretend I, that never went out on yeah. air. Okay, that's gone. Uh, well, chime in when you want to, CFP Chad Burton. So I think him and I both agree that used two year used is kind of like the sweet spot of cars. Um, because it gets a lot of depreciation in that area, and it probably doesn't get a lot of beating. Um, again, if you're buying a sporty little car, it probably the guy showed it off to his girlfriend, let, how fast I can go, and it probably did some wear and tear on the vehicle. So do your homework. Um, anytime you buy a car, uh, try not to get too emotional about it. The Internet has made things incredibly easy, with whether it's websites like Edmunds, is in the world of negotiating a lease, you know, leases, they're for some people and they're not for all people. I'll talk about leasing. I'll talk about how to avoid dealer scams. I'll talk about how to buy. Um, do not be that one person that goes in and, and falls for those pitches. Uh, it's still a heavily commissioned business, and that stinks. puts a lot of pressure on you and I to get it right when we do it. Big ticket purchase, and it could be something that really saps your savings for the future. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Shopping for a car is kind of like the topic of the day. Um, whether you're you know, shopping for a car, you're going to get a loan again. So n- most people are going to get loans. Should you go to a credit his- union? Yes or no. If you have a credit union available to you, I've found credit unions kind of work out pretty good for, uh, you know, auto-type scenarios, but again, it's kind of hit or miss, and you kind of have to learn how to play the game, and you will. Um, I believe you will. So, leased cars. Well, let's talk about a couple websites, first and foremost. Some of the best websites for vehicles, Edmunds.com, Kelly's, uh, that's E-D-M-U-N-D-S.com, Kelly's Blue Book, um, KBB.com, both are free. Both will let you check the going prices for every make, model, and year you'd want. Some sites like AutoTrader and Cars.com, AutoTrader.com and Cars.com list classified ads for used cars. Um, firms like Carfax and AutoCheck will track down the history of your prospective vehicle only on things that were reported. So you can buy a car that's been flooded in New Orleans, and unless it was reported on Carfax, you bought a clunker. It's really, really difficult to find a car that you can trust, and I, I, I find that to be cruel. Um, let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Chad Burton, um, talking about uh, finding a car that you can trust. You like used cars. Yep. How do you know it hasn't been in a flood? How do you know? Like, what do you do to kind of find what you want? Didn't, um, you buy, didn't you buy a car once like, that was in the Midwest and you had it shipped here? I did, and I had to send, actually, there was one car where 
um, when I did that, when I, when I can't see the car in person, I had sent twice. This was years ago. Um, the service that was through wherever I was buying it online, I can't remember, where you could get an outside mechanic to go look through the car. Okay. And the first one that I had identified was a flood car. And he called and told me that, and it was well worth the like sixty bucks that I paid. Um, so yeah, you, you, if you're gonna buy them without without seeing them and have yeah. it shipped to you, you, you need to have a mechanic go inspect the car. I'd say so you don't open the glove box and sand falls out. How about if you buy a car the, across the street? I'd consider a mechanic. Oh, absolutely. Every time you buy a car, yeah, any kind of time you buy a used car, take it to a mechanic that's trusted, that's not with the dealership that you're buying it from. How about those little computer programs, the where you can Plug it in and get like a kickback of, you know, it tells you everything that's wrong with the car. I don't really trust them because, <clears throat> again, I got an email from someone who said, I, I took my car oil all the time, did that, uh, maintained it properly, did that, um, got a Carfax, did that. Um, the dealer ran a computer test on it, charged me eight, 180 bucks, and it still was a clunker. And never did it come back like, oh, you're going to have a problem with this, oh, you're going to have a problem with that. Yeah. It was one problem after another, and, you know, again, bad financial decision getting a used car. And that's another reason why you have emergency reserves set aside, because you never know when you're going to get that lemon. Let's talk leasing real quick. Leasing is probably the easiest way to get a new car every couple of years for the people who want the new car every couple of years. Mm-hmm. You and I were just talking about, like, I really only drive about 12,000 miles for work, so I should consider a lease. As a business owner, yeah, you should. A lot of CPAs will say it's easier to write off that perpetual lease payment then depreciate the car because what happens, you know, a lot of business owners will go get that SUV and get that big write-off in the first year. But as they're continuing to make those payments, if they're if they're doing it on a car loan, then you're making the payment, but you're not able to write off that payment, and it counts towards your taxable income. Um, so it's like a nice write-off up front without future write-offs, whereas right. lease payment, if you're driving under a certain amount and the lease makes sense – and you like to have a new car every three to five years because you're financially able to do that, it could make sense. I drive too much. There's not a lease that is out there that's going to really work for me because of the amount of driving that I do. Which is interesting to note. Like, um, if I were to lease, I'm right at that 12,000, but you can get 15,000-mile leases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But then again, every time I do a trip to Tahoe, I'm going to rent a car. Yeah. Because I don't want, you know, all those miles being thrown on me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you're if you're really into the new technology, cars, electric, whatever, the, you got to think that in three to five years, technology is going to change drastically. It could really affect the depreciation, which is why when you, if you're financially able to go after those nicer cars and you want that new technology, that's why leasing might also make sense too. So you don't have to have an uncertain amount of depreciation. You know that you're going to pay for the car and you're not going to have anything left at the end of the three-year term. What's the whole capitalized cost mean? Like, there's some jargon in leasing that kind of throws people. Yeah, cost of money. I mean, there's really before you go in to purchase a car, you almost want to make that decision whether you're going to lease or buy, and then learn how the different ways that they can affect. I mean, you can get a lower payment, but at the end of the lease term, you might end end up owing a ton of money. Or have a horrible trade-in value or whatever it may be. So I'm not anywhere near a leasing expert because I haven't been doing it. Well, capitalized cost is the equivalent of the selling price, which you want to get down as low as possible. The residual, and again, lowering the price of a car sounds crazy that you're going to lease. Mm-hmm. But it's something you could do to help 
figure out you know your your pay structure. The residual value is the estimated worth of your car at the end of your lease. The monthly payments are determined with the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good website out there called Lease Wizard. Um, and again, it's not for the person who says I'm going to take off to LA for Christmas. It's that's going to put too many miles on you. It's going to hurt you. I do seminars and events all the time in the Bay Area. You can learn more about these events at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. CFP Chad Burton can be found at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Um, couple things on, you know, I would refer to the car dealerships as not the best experience in the world for me. I kind of freak out when I go into a car dealership. Um, I once, oh, this is a great story. I think Chad will actually like this one. When I was in college, I got a Nissan Altima. I wanted a Nissan Altima. I don't know why. I, that was the car that grabbed my eye. I went in, and they're like, Tch. I was like, I can pay $300 a month in a car payment. That's all I'm going to have. That's that's it. I, I don't know how much the car costs. And they're like, take it home, take it home, drive it, come back tomorrow. I came back tomorrow. It went from like 365 down to 350 I was like, I'm so, so sorry. I can't do this. Here's your car. Um, thank you. And they're like, take it home, take it home, take it home. So <laughs> after 30 days, I put 5,000 miles on it, and they said, give it back. I put 5,000 miles on a car in a month. <laughs> what dealership is this? Very uh, nice. What car sales first got fired for that yeah, one? Yeah, really? Um, slightly used car. <laughs> New, slightly used. I felt bad about it, but I was honest. And I think they never got the price down below 315. Um, and then I did do a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, but we're not perfect. So... Buying a newer used car can be a harassing process because it is commission driven, and you know the more they, the more difference between what they pay versus what they sell it to you for, is where that commission is going to kick in. Um, I'm going to go over some real car tips for you. I've got about 21 dealership tips. Um, lying about the small things is like one of them. Like, oh yeah, we got that collar of your car. Come on in, come on in. We'll talk about these kind of things and more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. Whether you're buying a used car or a new car, you're going to have to deal with someone who is on the other end of that deal. You're the buyer, they're the seller, right? I talked with a lot of salespeople, interacted with them, and you know they'll lie about the small things. They'll say things like the color's not available, there's only three left in the whole state, the price is good only for today, someone else is interested in the car, better decide quickly. And what you do to conquer that is don't rush into anything. Just treat the salesperson fairly and say, you know what, I'm taking my time to answer, and if the blue one goes away, I've got a car, I'll come back when a blue one comes in. There's a lot of shell games that go on. That's when the salesperson finds out what your hot buttons are and exploits them. A good salesperson 
listens to you. And then they know what you want, and then they play off that for the rest of the time. What did you once tell me, Chad? You were talking about an ex-associate. Um, you said he came from the insurance side of the business, so he listens to your questions? Listens to your questions. <clears throat> you said something like that. No, I, mean, I like uh, when I find CFPs yeah. to join the team. Um, I kind of get excited about the ones that they came from the insurance side of the business. Okay. Like I came from the the annuity and mutual fund side. That's what right. when, you know, I started in the early 90s. I was all that was around, really. Yeah. Fee-based planning was just starting to get going. Um, so those people that spend time in the insurance world um, and then they find out on their own that, hey, this isn't quite the right thing to do here. You know, life insurance isn't an investment for most people. Annuities aren't really that great for most people. Um, th- when they figure that out on their own, they already have that kind of that moral compass. Yeah. And then they 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 go on their own kind of uh, mission to get into the fiduciary world. But at the same time, they also know those products really well. So when a situation comes up where they got to fix them, yeah. or where they might make sense, like an estate planning case, they already know the product, so they can actually give advice on what to do with the people that already bought them, or maybe a large estate plan case that they actually need it. I found it. I remember you saying something like they listen and they hang you with what you say. So like if you go into a financial planning kind of event and say, uh, yeah, I'm worried about taking care of my family, then the the annuity product will come up. Mm-hmm. Um, Death benefits. And- in the auto dealer world, if you come in with a used car that you want to trade in, they're going to give you the maximum trade in. This is the maximum trade in I can give you. Mm-hmm. They'll say things like that. Yeah. And then they'll just jack up the price of the car they're selling you. So it's very, very well. Anyway, I'll let you go back to when what people you know. started asking for the dealer invoice. Yeah. I had one time where the guy came out with this, like, what do you call those matrix printers? Those yeah, little yeah, printers yeah. with the, the tear dot off matrix, the dot matrix. Dot matrix. Yeah, 1984 technology, probably. Yeah. I, that's what this dealer invoice looked like was this <laughs> dot matrix, you know, self printed deal. I'm like, I never bought from that guy. It wasn't too comfortable. It's actually a 1960 technology. Yeah. Probably died in 1984. I remember I had a brother. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the salesperson finds out what your hot buttons are and then kind of exploits you on them. Um, if you have a monthly payment, they'll start working off that. They'll make sure that you get it, but they'll extend the, they'll extend the term of the loan. You know, to get your hundred and or to get your four hundred dollar payment, it's going to be a seven year um, loan. That's getting up there. That's really, really getting up there. So there's a lot of shell games. You want to negotiate every purchase of your deal separately. So when I go in to get a car, I don't go in and say, I've got all the cash in the world, because then he knows he's not going to be able to sell me on a loan with a higher rate. I don't go in there with a trade-in. The trade-in comes at the last second, and typically, I'm going to do the trade-in in the private market outside the dealership. So don't go in there showing all your cards. you know. And if you can get a credit union to do your loan, that's great. No, like, ask them, like, hey... Uh, what what terms can you offer and see if they're they're competitive with yours? So getting a credit union to give you a quote before you go in should help you. Another scam at car dealerships is the dealer advertises a car with a great price, but when you show up at the dealership, that one's already been sold. Then they try to get you to buy a more expensive vehicle. The whole point of bait and switch, you know, is to get you to the showroom. Once you're there, you're like, I just spent ten dollars in gas getting here. So call the dealership prior to visiting. And see if they still have that one in stock. If so, ask them to email you a fax that you you know with a signed statement indicating the vehicle still in stock and available for sale. If they're not willing to do it, 
they're not willing to put their name on in writing, just go to another dealer. So we're talking tips in, in how to get by in the car world. Um, lowballing the trade-in is a big one. The dealer is going to quote you a very low price on your trade-in. They want to see if you're a true sucker, and they're willing to you're willing to ex, you know say okay, I've got this car that you know barely running, and you just offered me a dollar for it. Sounds like uh, that's the best I can get. You're an expert after all. You work at a dealership. They're hoping it's going to cause you to question the value of your vehicle. As they increase the offer, it seems like a victory because you started out low and you're getting higher. Shop your trade into multiple dealers. Shop your trade into multiple sites. Try to have value on it long before you go into a scenario like that. You can also highball the offer over the phone, which is one of those scams that I, I truly hate. So you call the dealer to see what they will offer you for a trade-in. They give you an attractive offer. They tell you to bring it in. When you bring it in, the dealer doesn't honor the offer after inspecting it in person. Their goal was, again, to get you in the showroom. Again, best way to combat that is to show your trade-in to multiple, multiple people. Uh, changing the figures in the lease agreement. This one sucks. And when you start going in that finance officer's office, um, you're away from the car salesperson, you're away from the general manager, and you're like, I've got a friend. i got someone who's normal like me. So, But the confusing nature of leasing, a lot of dealers will change the numbers around in the contract and literally steal money from you. Things such as raising the capitalized cost or increasing the money factor. So you need to have a good understanding of how leasing works. Um, there's plenty of websites that will walk you through it. Speaking of leasing, gap insurance. Uh, pretty good idea, like in case, oh, yeah. you, in case you wreck that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because, because especially if, like I said, new technology cars, yeah. if you wreck it and it's already upside down in value, I mean, you're if you owe twenty thousand dollars on it, and it's only worth you know fifteen, yeah, then you're on the hook if you don't have the gap insurance for that difference. Gap insurance is one of those insurances on cars that you do recommend. Yeah. Uh, so at least strongly consider it and know why you're doing it. We'll teach you that you probably want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. CFP Chad Burton. So um, raising the price on the vehicle. This is pretty common as well. So our scams go. A lot of car shoppers don't realize you need to negotiate the purchase price of the car when leasing. So they leave it up to the dealer, and you end up paying the full manual MSRP, uh, the suggested race, uh, uh, price, retail price. So when leasing the purchase price of the car, it's called the capitalized cost. This should be negotiated just as aggressively as if you were buying the car. Um, don't go with the sticker. And again, if you have a number in your head, and you've done the research on it, and then you get to the lot, and they're like, "Okay, why don't you lease this one that's got the luxury package in it?" That's not the one. You, that's not the one you in your head you were getting into. Get away. There's another one that is just deplorable, and it's called the four square method. And I talked to a car salesperson. He taught me this one. It's the most common sales tactic that you can find in a dealership. It's designed to confuse you. Uh, it mixes mixing the price of the car, down payment, trade-in value, monthly payment, all into a single transaction. So they get a piece of paper out and they start showing you everything. The tactic only works on car shoppers who negotiated a dealership. Simply negotiate everything by, via phone or email and handle each part of the transaction separately. So math can be very tricky at times, or there's tricks in it that can confuse you. 
So be cautious on how you approach this. There's something called title washing, and this scam is the scam where they hide the history of a vehicle that's been salvaged, usually due to flooding. Uh, Title washing is common after a major disaster like floods and hurricanes. The title is washed by transferring a salvaged vehicle to another state that doesn't recognize the salvaged brand. So using Carfax and AutoCheck to see the history of the car, it's okay. Only if that's been reported in computer records. So one of the tips is is to have a mechanic go with you to the dealership. And if they're not willing to let a mechanic look under the hood, just say no. Um, And again, it's a small price. It's like when you buy a home, having someone come look at your home for you, um, even if it's not part of the deal, you know, the loan appraisal, eh, the house is worth ballpark. But getting someone who knows homes, a home inspector, is just like getting a mechanic to inspect your car. And again, have a German mechanic, not speaking German, but a guy who's worked on German cars, check out your BMWs, have, you know, uh, I don't even know what country Audi is from. Audi is German too? Having a German guy come check out your Audi, that's perfect as well. See, there's things that I don't know. The money I know well. Women, not so much. NFL? No. I don't know the NFL. Uh, countries where cars are built? Okay, I know Nissan. Everyone knows that's Russia. <laughs> right? You're an idiot, Rob Black. Um, double first payment. Leases usually require you to make a first monthly payment up front. Sometimes a down payment includes this. Sometimes it doesn't. Some dealers will try to take advantage of the ambiguity and give double first payment audio. Check the agreement very, very carefully. Make sure they're not double charging you on that first payment. Um, It stinks, right? There's a scam called packed payments. This is when the dealer hides add-ons into your monthly car payment. Add-ons are typically like service contracts, extended warranties, gap insurance, paint and fabric protection. If you're doing the paint and fabric protection, if you if the car's paint isn't good for five years, seven years, go get a different car. If you can't buy a, a, a can of uh, fabric protection and spray it on yourself, there's something wrong with you. Little Bruce Springsteen taking a break. You can find me out at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Or Thunder Road. So I'm talking about buying a car, and again, I tend to like if you're going to be an owner of a business, a lease makes a lot of sense if you can keep it to $12,000, $15,000. It's a great tax write-off. It's, it works pretty efficiently. It's not the greatest. You know, owning a car that's paid off for six, seven, eight, nine years after it's paid off is wonderful. I'm going over, like, again, you have to approach things with a psychology when it comes to money. And you can't do things... 
you've done before, the mistakes have to stop repeating themselves. It's okay to make mistakes. We've all done it. I have one first marriage that I did not get married in all my 20s. And then I waited to my 30s, and I dated all the right women in my 20s and 30s. And then early 30s, I was like, hmm, that one's hot. She's sexy, and she can cook. And I can pamper her. She pampers me. And there was like three times in six months where I was like, she's crazy. I want out of this. She's got those crazy Hunter Pence eyes. You ever seen Hunter Pence play for the Giants? His eyes are like all over the field. Like, they're just bouncing. And she had just crazy moments. Um, I can't go over them on the air because it's A, rude, and B, um, it's just rude. But um, I dumped her like three times, and I've never done that. And she kept like getting back in, and I got married. And within nine months, there was emails going off to CEOs of other companies. And um, she was what I would refer to as a lily pad jumper. She's always making her life a little bit better. Um, so the CEO of a, not the CEO, but he was on board of directors of, of a major company, took her to Saudi Arabia. I guess I should have taken her to Saudi Arabia. He was also the age of her dad, so I guess she had dad issues. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. These are other car scams. We all make mistakes. We want to stop making them. Good guy, bad guy. A lot of times when you're going in to buy a car, one salesman is the honest and can be trusted, but a sales manager is hard to deal with. The strategy is meant to wear you down on both sides. So they're on the same team. They're not on your team. That's one that I, I really want to like pound on again and again and again. And I want you just to be cautious. Um, you know, you want to stop making mistakes. Buying a car is pretty easy. You know, I like the two-year used if you're going to own the car, um, lease is okay. But again, you have to negotiate price. You have to understand what the terms are. You have to consider gap insurance um, just in case something bad goes out wrong. I think you want to get approved for a car loan. A powerful first step is before you go into a dealer, go to a credit union, go to a bank and say, look, if – and again, you don't want people running hard swipes on your credit. So – Getting approved for a loan from a bank, credit union, or online lender will show you what interest rate you qualify for. If the interest rate offer is unexpectedly high, you'll know that there are problems with your credit history that need to be resolved before moving forward. Bank of America sends me on a regular basis, hey, refinance your car loan at 2.75. Um, that's not bad. Like, if you're going to carry a loan, that's not bad. So you want to price your car and trade in. So you want to shop for a loan before you go to a dealership. You want to price the car that you're looking for before you go in. You want to price the car that you might trade in before you go. Edmunds.com has a website called uh, or link called uh, True Market Value. And it uses actual sales figures to reveal the average price buyers are paying for cars in your area. Again, you could probably go lower than that because that, this is called an average. And sometimes what you could do to a salesperson is say, look, I see that you want to sell me the car for 35 I get that. I'm on Edmonds and I see it going for 34, so I'll make a deal with you. I'm willing to pay 33. When you can do it, get in touch. Until then, if no other cars come on your lot, if one does that, that's, that your manager can let go for that price, give me a call. So locating the car that you want. There's so many options. It's not. <laughs> Maybe it is. 
I'm confused now. I don't know. But, again, Edmunds.com is probably one of the best out there for locating a make, model, and year of a car you want. And Edmunds has got something along with their site, Edmunds.com, called Price Promise. Price Promise is interesting. It assures car shoppers a guaranteed upfront price on a specific car. Look for Price Promise offers on a car of your choice. Print out the certificate on the page, and you're ready to go to the dealership and conclude a deal. It's a good idea to call ahead to make sure they got the car is still available. Um, you know, if there's no price promise offer on a car you want, shopping through a dealership's internet department will save you time and money. You can easily communicate with the internet manager by phone or email. Um, a lot of people are drawn towards the traditional way of buying a car, of going in and test riding. But know when you visit that showroom that you're going to get, you know, good cop, bad cop. You're going to get, like, I'm going to show you how much your trade-in is. I'm going to show you how much the car cost is. I'm going to show you what our cost is. And, like, you're going to get confused. You're going to be a little fawn. I still get confused by beautiful women. I get confused when I go to a car dealership. I know my weaknesses. Do you know your weaknesses? I make fewer financial mistakes now because I know my weaknesses. So always negotiate for a lower price. Um, Request internet price quotes from at least three local dealers. I know that stinks because it feels like you're, you're, I don't want you shopping for a mortgage because ultimately if you find a good lender, he's going to shop for the mortgage for you. But if you're shopping for a mortgage lender, you're just going to get three people that say, I'll give you the lowest rate, come on in. So you got to find that person that's willing to work pretty aggressively for you, um, in my opinion. And that, in cars, is you. In mortgages, it's mortgage lender. In real estate, it's that agent who knows the community really well or a really top flight agent. I typically wouldn't give advice to go with a top flight agent. But if they're able to get more people to see your home, they're going to be able to get a higher price for your home. Maybe I go for the local agent who, for shopping the houses and more top flight for selling the houses. Anyway, you know how I work now. I know how you work. Well, maybe I don't. You can find me online at robblack.com. Opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.